You are listening to Raices Verdes, a platform dedicating to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and um, I want to acknowledge that today I am recording on Duwamish land, part of the Coast Salish people and so-called Washington state. And our guest is actually in a different time zone, a different part of the world, um, in what is known as Oaxaca City. But as far as I'm I understand it is still Zapoteco territory where Oaxaca City is. I don't know if I'm if that's correct. I guess you could correct me, Simone. Part of it, yeah. Okay, so it'd be like the Zapoteco region of what is called Oaxaca. Um, so yeah, my guest today for this series Beyond Chicanismo is Simone Cedillo, who teaches geopolitics and political economy, and he also coordinates a study abroad program in Oaxaca, Mexico, for Native students from the U.S. He has been teaching geopolitics and political economy in the U.S. and Mexico for the last 15 years. Simon has a growing archive of workshops, lectures, articles, and documentary films about the effects of and community-based resistance to neoliberalism, militarism, and white supremacy. And just like to add my own bio to this, I have done his study. I've been through the study abroad program that they've been part of, and then also just like know them personally and like close friends with them. So I'm really excited to have them on the show. Hello, Simon. So I'm one of our favorite students ever. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh my gosh. My teacher pet self gets so happy when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited because um, I think it will be good to have the perspective of someone who has seen a lot of the change of the Chicanx movement through the years and just has kind of wiser experience with that. So I'm really excited for this. But before we jump ahead to that, I guess just like, how are you doing? I also haven't talked to you in a while. So just like, aside from baby stuff, how are you doing? <laughs> well, all we're doing is baby stuff these days. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. That's Yay, I'm glad. Well, also to get to know you more and kind of set the framework of who you are, um, when you hear, I guess, like Raices Verdes or just think about like your roots in terms of the environment and land, like what comes to mind for you or what does that bring to you? You know, the first thing that happens is I remember when I was younger and the spaces that we're talking about, like sustainability and even like autonomy and things like that, where I was living in Austin were predominantly white spaces. They were radical spaces, but they were predominantly white spaces. And I didn't really have, I didn't really feel great in those spaces, you know? And I, but I, I definitely learned some stuff from folks. And I think that what gets me, what I think, when I think about this, I'm just super excited about what you're doing, you know? And I know a lot of things have happened since I was younger for people of color, like talking about these things, organizing around these things. And obviously, traditionally, obviously, it's been happening forever. But in my upbringing, it was it was not something that was like talked about. It was not something that I could, where I could find spaces where I felt like people were organizing that looked like me. Um, and I, I, I like the way that's changing. Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited to be living in this lifetime that I am right now because I've definitely been able to see that change too. Um, so yeah, I, this series, um, and this will be the last episode within the series, Beyond Chicanismo, Indigeneity and the Environment. I think 
the reason why this was so important to me, and I've brought this up before, is because we're in such a pivotal time for the Chicanx movement because youth are really radicalizing in a different way. So I just think, and me personally, I think it's just needed for the movement. We got to bring in this idea of ethnic studies and identity studies to the environmental studies. So that's why I think this topic around indigeneity in our community is so important. So again, just more to get like context about you. When did you first come across the Chicano identity or first heard that word and just kind of, what was that like for you? I mean, my family, all my family's from New Mexico and, you know, which is all of this native territory, um, but they had Mexicans and Spanish folks, you know, colonize that territory and those are my roots at the end of the day the, the mestizaje in my family happened in new mexico no, so i have native, native roots there and i obviously have spanish and purely mexican mexican roots there in new mexico and my family identified as chicano mm. you know my father identified as chicano my brothers identified as chicano they were necessarily very militant with it i, I feel like my brothers were more militant than my father was and as I came up going, like, just going to school and not seeing faces that look like me, not seeing people look like me, and then running into folks that did look like me, like small groups of people, and then being like, we're Chicanos. I was like, oh, oh this is great. For me, it was like a, it was a safe, you know, it's like I felt safer in those spaces than, I mean, at, at the time, like what I'm talking about, was like the University of Texas. It was whack. <laughs> it was like rats, people, you know, like it was whack and it felt unsafe all the time. So being around Chicanos is what made me feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I really, you know, was like, well, this is clearly me and this is what I feel safe. Right. So you, you would say, like, since a pretty young age, you identified that way because I know for some of us who kind of come up with that or find out about that identity in more like college spaces that's up to the point where we identify that way, but it sounds like for you, that's been since like you were very, very little. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like in my household, there was a Chicanismo that was always present, right? In our language, right? My dad's like, hello, bocho. You know? <laughs> uh, my mom speaks better, both languages better, um, but she like made an effort to do so, you know, in her community where she's from, everybody's hello, bocho. You know, um, so there was always Spanglish in the house. If we saw white people, you know, my dad had a name for them. If we saw black people, my dad had a name for them. These were not always like pleasant names, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then they would to our, ourselves as raza, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was that was like my upbringing, you know. Like, right, and it's. And especially like the spatial context that you were saying that like New Mexico has that like or what is like seen as New Mexico, it has that history. Right. So I think that adds a lot to that identity that like that was already rooted kind of in that land as well in some ways. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there. I mean, I, I think that that's that's kind of a for me, this is like kind of like I don't want to skip ahead because I know you want to touch on some subjects, but mm-hmm. I think that this is important point to get at is that if we go back far enough and we look at some of our elders and chicanismos i can't speak for all chicanismo but in my experience well 
fools were hella racist, homophobic, sexist. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, at, at their core, you know? Right. So in my household, at some point, I had fell against that because I'm fucking anti-racist, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I'm trying to challenge my, uh, my male privilege, my, my sex privilege, you know, as much as, as much as I can. And in my household, like, that's something that I have to be like, I don't really like these words anymore. I don't like this, this attitude. I don't like these, this way, you know, like, and started questioning. So I think that that's super important, you know, mm-hmm. in my upbringing, it was also like the, the yeah. rebellion was the- against that. Definitely, definitely. And that's like the waves that we have seen right throughout the Chicanx movement is like challenging those notions and those core values that were tied to the movement from the beginning. Um, so I guess also in terms of like your geographical like upbringing and then just in general, like do you feel like Chicanismo or like the, the identity, the movement ever make you feel connected to like the environment in any way? That maybe you saw in some of those more white spaces that you were talking about earlier, or I guess in what way maybe the Chicanismo feel make you feel connected to the environment? I mean, I think it, it experiences different for everybody, you know. And for me, uh, over time, Chicanismo did become a step towards decolonizing, you know, which not but not the ultimate step, but a step away from. American ideal, you know, like U.S. U.S. ideas of the world. Like Chinese will help me be like, well, no, actually, I'm brown. Well, no, actually, my experiences are different. Well, no, actually, I can, you know, reivindicate certain things in certain ways, you know. And being in those spaces brought me in proximity with people with varying identities and with varying varying connections to their indigenous identities. And that, over time, you know, helped really feed who I am today and, and what I work for and for. Right, and I think... Um, so this is the third episode in the series, and it's so funny because I think every single person around this question has said that, like, Chicanismo or the Chicanx movement has been a stepping stone to something else. And I think that's really great because that's how I feel, too, and have other people that I've talked to because, yeah, at the end of the day, this doesn't have to be it, and we're just, like... It's the most human thing to, like, change and evolve. And so it's really cool to think that, like, for a lot of us, this is kind of a stepping stone, but it's not, like, the end goal or it's not it, you know, in terms of, like, decolonizing and doing other work. Absolutely. And I think I think saying one is, like, for example, I mean, if I'm in a space here and people are going to ask me, what are you, who are you, I do start with, I'm Chicano, I have native roots in the state of New Mexico, but I also have colonized roots in the state of New Mexico. Like, right. Um, but but I, I don't really have, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not going to claim a nation that I'm not connected to. I'm not going to claim, you know, so I do start off with that. But then when people get to know me, you know, they understand that I'm very critical of things within that, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm very I'm trying to challenge myself within that. And I'm very much trying to challenge others within that, no? Right. Um, and again, not trying to skip ahead, but a lot of what I've been seeing and growing from is from young Mexican, uh, Central American youth that are now coming up of age in college that do have a clear connection to their indigenous identities. And it's, they're not, they're saying, 
well, I'm not really Chicano, actually. I'm Urepecha. I'm uh, Misteco. I'm whatever I am, and many other things, right? But that's that's where they go to first. And I feel like those voices have really uh, fed fed a lot of what I'm about Right. And actually, that's a perfect transition into the next question about like, I guess you've talked about how you've been seeing that in the youth now. But for you, throughout those years that you've been in the movement, like how has Chicanismo limited your ability to connect to your indigenous roots? Like, how was that experience for you? I don't, I mean, I don't feel like Chicanismo as an entity or as a phenomenon or as an identity uh, has never been able to prevent me from doing anything. Um, there are definitely people inside of the movement that I think have varying ideas of what we should be doing and, or what has been done or what has been accomplished or not accomplished or how things should be accomplished or how we should be working in solidarity with others. All that is super diverse and there are some people that, well, I don't, I don't really fuck with, you know, and then there's other people that I have mad love and respect for and, and have been growing with and have been able to have these conversations in such a way where we're being self-critical and we're teaching and learning from one another in ways to be open to things that are very much so beyond study. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your journey to kind of getting to know your own native roots and really coming home to that medicine, do you feel like that happened alongside then other Chicanx people, or do you feel like that was kind of happening outside of the movement for you? I feel like along the way, I definitely met Chicanos and that that have come to to like different um, conclusions or more recent, like um, like even Manchistas, like back in the day, like when I first started going to Mecha, I used to ask Manchistas, why are you brown? And Manchistas, really didn't answer because we're native you know like that was the first answer today it, it is you know today right. if you walk to Mecha Nationals and you ask why are you brown the vast majority of the students are native you know because we're indigenous we're our roots you know like and that's clear but back in the day that wasn't clear you know so something has happened well first of all a different population has come into the organization to begin with but then also people are starting to, to to say that with pride you know and i feel like that that i did see that happen uh with different folks in terms of my personal experience um one of the things that i talk about is how you know being mestizo is being you know um you know, blood that was like native and European, and that that's like an ongoing battle inside of it, and it's something that we have to work on. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, like that's that's probably one of the biggest things that, that Chicano, Chicanas, Chicanx folks have to heal from. You know, and I'm not so sure that enough people have been doing that healing. Right on my path. Yes, I have run across Chicanos, Chicanas, Chicanics that are uh, working on that healing one way or another, or at least talking about it or talking about the need to, you know. And and the thing is, is that when we start digging <laughs> at that identity and start asking real questions about what it 
what that mestizaje looked like is that, well, the reality, and this is something I've been saying at mention conferences for a minute now, is that mestizaje is just a really pretty word for colonial rape. <laughs> yes. So, so it is. I mean, and you kind of have to say that to yourself first before you start digging because, you know, a lot of us, you start digging, those stories are real fucking ugly. Mm-hmm. They're real. And they can tear people apart. It's not like something that you want to be digging in and open up and then not be prepared to confront and heal, heal from, heal with others, you know? And then knowing that, like, your family members might not be there with you, really. You know, it might, you might be all on your own uh, when they're confronting those stories. And that, there's been very few people, but there have been people from my generation had that conversation and they've done that type of digging and run across those stories and there's well all of us have those stories in a certain sense you know right it's like the majority of us have those stories you know? <laughs> that's, that's the conclusion that we've come to that the, those of us that I've talked to the folks that I've talked to and stuff like that is that you know like our whole group like if you're a Chicano if you're Mexicano which is a national identity that is rooted in notion of mestizaje, which again is just a pretty word for rape. Um, we these histories of sexual violence and colonial violence mm-hmm. you know, that we have run, right? Right. Um, so that process has been has been super intense and and then I have to be honest, along the way I run across people that aren't even thinking about it or aren't even <laughs> talking about it. You know, that they're just like whatever I'm brown that means I'm native, I'm good, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move forward and I'm not gonna look back. That it's super hard to move forward without looking back, without really look. I mean, maybe, you're, you know, not everybody's gonna find the details, but you have to know those details are there and that you have to know that you're carrying that ancestral trauma and you have to know that you're carrying that also some ancestral medicine and that you have to work on that healing. That healing is, is I think, fundamental to like what we're trying to do. Right, definitely. And I think I also want to ask you about living in Oaxaca and stuff like that, because this is a conversation we've had a lot between us that like in the Chicanx movement, but just overall in the U.S. as like people of color or like Latinx people, we tend to romanticize like indigeneity outside of the U.S. and like how, oh, like if I just move, you know, in this case to Mexico and then it'll just be all pretty because indigenous people there exist like differently, da da da, you know. Um, I guess, like, for you, as a Chicano who has moved to somewhere like Oaxaca, you know, where there's a lot of indigenous resistance around you, how do you feel like the Chicanx identity for you has also become, like, I guess, like, how has that been an experience of you talking about the Chicanx identity and mestizaje with actual, like, indigenous people in somewhere like Mexico, you know, which is a different colonial state than the U.S.? Does that kind of make sense, what I'm getting at? For sure. I mean, at the end of the day, Oaxacan were my first teacher towards this you know mm-hmm. like they were all super clear when all a lot of people were super clear with um well this is who i am this is where i'm from this is what has happened this is what is happening how about you you know and i had to start to answer those questions with much much more clarity you know? and in answering those questions i was pushed to answer well what i wanted to do what my purpose was you know so Oaxacans have been consistently my first teachers. And 
the first thing that Wahagans did for me was to be like, all you fools come here romanticizing indigenous folk, <laughs> you know, but let's take you to an indigenous community where the people who are massacring them, the people who are raping people, the people who are doing state-sponsored paramilitary violence against the communities are other natives. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, I mean, I, you know, maybe I knew a little bit before I came, but coming here and seeing it and learning it, learning about it firsthand, that was what made me be like, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be learning. This is where I need to be. Because it was so far beyond what I what I had been experiencing in the north in terms of like trying to connect with any, um, and it just it shit became very real, you know, from the from the first time that I was like, you know, not only not only did you have like one nation exercising violence against another nation, there are many cases in Oaxaca of a single nation divided into groups, some of which were paramilitaries community organizers and, and the violence that went with that. All of that clarified, you know, a much more insidious ongoing strategy of dividing conquer and culturalism through militarism. And that is what made me super interested in wanting to learn from and organize around and against. Right. Yeah, I think that was... Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm glad you gave that input because you just have a different perspective than a lot of the, well, both the other people that I interviewed and just in general, because again, you are living in, you know, Mexico and Oaxaca where this is happening. And so that obviously is going to shape your viewpoint and a lot of these things. Um, changing like a little bit, um, how do you connect them to the environment now, you know, now that you've gone through this growth or like are going through this journey and have, you know, seen a lot and all of this, like, how do you connect to the environment right now? And just like, how does that relate to your indigenous ancestry? I was raised Catholic, <laughs> and I'm no longer I'm no longer Catholic. Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just like I'm no longer Catholic, and I'm intentionally no longer Catholic. Um, and in the path of finding a a spirituality that I feel good with, um, nature has been like the primary die no so being connected to nature going out to nature doing things around nature taking my daughter to nature the, the, those simple things become like going to church no? they become super important and super healing and super just part of uh, how I, I check myself and how I reflect and things like that um all of the work that I've been doing in terms of like documentary films or uh, learning and building and teaching and organizing around geopolitics and political economy is really around working with primarily native communities uh, throughout Mexico that are organizing for territorial defense, um, autonomy, self-determination, and self-determination. Um, in each and every single one of the places that I've worked in, um, their connection to the earth and their defense of the earth um, has become, to me, the most important thing to be, be a part of. So anything that they, any any movement 
by Native folks that are struggling to defend their territory, fight for autonomy, self-determination, and fight off, you know, state-sponsored violence, narco-violence, neoliberalism, militarism. That's where I put 100% of them. So, you know, so there's like a physical line through which I use video primarily and investigative research to kind of shed light on some of the things that are going on or share some of the folks' stories that are in these struggles. Um, And then with that, not just be on the sideline, but participate in what we call combative communication and be part of supporting those movements through media. and then on the other hand, just in my day to day, like literally going to nature, going to sweats, um, making nature like the most important. Like for us, it's like the most, it's like whatever. For some people, like to go to the club all the time. <laughs> okay, I feel called out. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that, it, I mean, everybody's got their thing and you can do both. You know, I, I have nothing with people. They go to the club. But for us, like the club really is the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can definitely come back to like the work that you do and give some space for you to kind of talk about where people can find some of this work. But before that, um, again, just to really take advantage that, you know, you've been in this movement for a minute, you've been like seeing a lot of the changes. So like to start bestowing some of your, you know, elder wisdom, <laughs> what do you hope for the Chicanx movement in the future? Like, you know, like you said, we're critical of it, but at the end of the day, there is like a lot of love for the people that are in this. And we've met a lot of people that, you know, have changed us throughout this movement. So what do you hope for the future of like Mechas, of like the Chicanx movement and of like, I guess, our Chicanx community? Well, I, I'm really saddened by how this situation has been polarizing the movement among itself and intergenerationally. Um, um, before you go on, can we? I just gonna take a minute to, in case people are not really sure what we mean by the situation, just like context, like if you haven't been following, like what's been going on with Mecha as an organization or the Chicanx movement. There's been a lot of conversation around like letting go of the Aslan as part of the name and as part of the identity, and then again just questioning the Chicanx identity and some of the stuff that we've talked about. And you can like look online and for more of that, but that's kind of what we're talking about, just for context. Um, so my concern is that, is that at this very moment in history, we are gener- like from my generation to y'all's generation, we are really facing a level of white male imperialist supremacy, unlike anything that our generations have faced before. This is, it's horrible what's happening. And for us to be beefing over a name or identities or or a, a supposed history and stuff like that, to me, like that saddens to begin with. Uh, the second part that saddens me is that really from my perspective and my perspective it is on the ground with the youth that are pushing for these types of changes, that are pushing for these types of, of, of self-criticism, um, is that honestly, a lot of the elders that I've seen talking trash on our youth have not, not been around to listen to where this is really coming from. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who I feel like jumping to conclusions about where the youth are coming from and haven't really spent enough time to, with the youth to hear where they're coming from. And what thirdly makes me sad is that the truth is, is that the youth are way on point and hella just super smart, super on point, super clear, have really good arguments. And, and I mean, I'm a sixth generation, old school, whatever, cisgender, Chicano, Bato, that has been around. And I, I, I'm down for what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm down for what they're saying. And I, and I feel it. And, and, and I, I, I love that they fucking challenge us and check us and make us grow and make us think about uh, so many things that we haven't been thinking. Um, so it sounds to me that people aren't listening and, and not seeing that because it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Um, so I'm trying to be as supportive of those youth as much as possible. I am hoping that uh, elders will actually take the time to listen without coming with preconceived ideas. Um, because I feel like if you if you really, really listen, it's gonna be really hard to not be convinced by by the use arguments, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I don't personally, you know, name change or no name change, I think the criticisms that are being brought about need to be addressed. And the work and the future of the organization needs to reflect how that's addressed and needs to reflect the changes that demographically the organization has seen. Uh, most of the voices that I hear talking about this change, change these types of change, changes needing to happen are queer, female, uh, with some sort of uh, direct indigenous identity in Mexico or Central America. These are the folks that I'm hearing all of this from. And honestly, like, <laughs> For the longest time, I've been saying, if young women of color aren't holding the steering wheel of your the decision-making process of your organization, then you're probably full of shit. And right now, these young women are, are putting their hands on the ste- steering wheel and being like, yo, like we need to address this, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not just about a name. It's not just about a history. It's about a lot of real things that have happened, you know, mm-hmm. certain types of people being racist towards uh, certain types of identities, people sexist phobic towards certain types of identities and we can't keep sweeping under the carpet the fact that there's been a lot of sexual self assault by elders by mentors by folks like that inside of the organization and when you have when you put all that together it's like cool if you if you can't listen to what the sisters are saying then i don't know you might need to step aside right you might need to step aside um my hopes is that they will listen my hopes is that, that everybody will be willing to be self-critical. My hopes is that Chicanos will understand that really their the movement that they built on or worked on is not going to disappear, right? But that you can't take away a new generation's uh, need to be self-critical and to grow, right? You can't do that. That's, that's just... It's not, I'm not super counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, like you said, there we're living in such like a fascist and like hyper, you know, military like world that it just doesn't make sense that we don't see this as a life or death situation in terms of like building solidarity and like 
being a collective and moving forward. And so it's just, yeah, it seems like a lot of just talking about things that are not for our survival right now and our thriving and moving forward. Absolutely. And, and I, honestly, like you, all the, all the youth there, my ASU youth, I hope you hear this, ASU y'all. Yes, I will be sending this to like Mechas and stuff, so I hope everyone listens to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the Mechistas that, that are part of this, I mean, at the end of the day, three of y'all, against three voted for this type of conversation to be taking place in the last Mecha Nationals, just in case you didn't know that, 33 was the vote. <laughs> all these chapters, I've been going around talking to them. And I think, like, on the one hand, I think they're just shocked that their elders, the way a lot of a lot of elders have reacted, they're shocked, and and uh, clearly also intimidated, you know, because people have been coming at like some fools, some fools wrote that this is a neoliberal conspiracy, <laughs> like fool, like do you even know what neoliberal is? Yeah. It's not yeah we've been like the youth and stuff been called like fascists and apparently like we're part of the trump like i don't it's just so bad <laughs> some of this stuff like it makes you laugh at how like silly it is like it's not even based on like real like thought well thought out argument at all so but but my point is is i've been talking to all these youth and they every single one of them has well articulated amazing arguments to back this um, and I'm waiting for those well-articulated, amazing arguments to be heard. Uh, folks need to do some writing. People need to do some sharing. People need to put their stuff into words and share as much as possible. Um, and hopefully, enough of the of the older generations <coughs> will turn around <coughs> and see that that what the youth are asking for is pretty pretty valid and also pretty on point. You know, right for yeah. sure. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to like just continue this conversation. Like I said, I will try to spread this as much as I can to like different mechistas and mech organizations or Chicanx organizations to really, again, add my own voice and y'all's voices to this conversation. Um, in terms of like people finding maybe your work or just kind of reading some of the stuff you've been writing um, or doing and documentaries, like where, I guess, do you want to just like drop like websites or like where do you want like me to direct people? If you want to check out, if you want to find anything I've ever worked on, go to elenemigocomun.net and everything's on there. Mm -hmm. uh, articles, research, links to videos, everything is on the elenemigocomun.net. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely be linking that with the Instagram post and like on the um, podcast notes and all of that. All right, well, do you have any other closing thoughts or anything else you want to say? Yes, um, this February 28th to March 1st will be the Mecha National Conference uh, in Tempe, Arizona at ASU. Um, there will not be any workshops at this national conference. Um, there's only going to be caucuses and a resolution circle because the chapters on a national level have decided what they need to do is to meet, organize, and come to like some actual concrete changes that need to take place. Um, for community members that are interested in going, they're invited to participate in the caucuses, and this will be a really good opportunity for folks to listen to where the Mechistas are coming, this generation of Mechistas are coming from. Um, the resolution circle is going to be closed to folks 
uh, other than Mechistas. Um, so the decision is theirs as it always has been. Um, but folks can participate. Um, uh, please come. And then for Mechistas, you better go. <laughs> sign, up, sign up now. Organize your funds now. Pre-register so that the homies don't end up in like some huge debt or like too many of y'all show up. You know, they're planning for a lot of people to come, but y'all have to register. It's important that you do this ahead of time so that the, the compas don't have a hard time, you know, uh, making sure the conference is, is run well, right? Mm-hmm. Please come through. We need as many people to come through as possible. Yes. Um, I will make sure that this also comes out like before that so that people have time to think about that and start posting about it as well um well, yeah thank you i'm really excited to see how that plays out too i will probably not be attending but um because i also you know need some space after all of that but i'm really excited to see where this is moving and like you said this has always been a youth movement so it should stay a youth movement and i'm slowly moving away from that as i you know leave mecha and leave the college spaces and things like that but um, yeah, thank you again for this conversation. I'm just really excited again to have someone who's seen more change in the movement and has been along, has been around it a little bit longer to kind of give their input and to be really down for supporting youth. You know, I think that's exactly what we need right now. And I hope that everyone who listens to this really just reflects on their own identity. If you identify as Chicanx or whatever else, you know, just think about how these things are all interconnected one way or another. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening to Raices Verdes. This is a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth through ac- archiving and sharing our experiences to stay updated on future episodes and um, connect with the podcast. You can go to Instagram at Nuestras Raices Verdes, website NuestrasRaicesVerdes.com, and on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts um, at Raices Verdes. Thank you. Thank you.